Welcome to the Wildlife Experience. This is your host, Andrew Austin. In this episode, I interview Shan O'Gorman. Shan is a fisheries biologist. Um, his work is mainly dealing with pond management and how to how to successfully manage a pond to grow bigger fish. Um, and, and there's a lot of ecological concepts that he uses to do so. And um, so we talk a lot about pond management and try to cover some misconceptions and um, talk a little bit about fishing and just uh, a lot of stuff about fish. Um, Shan knows a lot about fish, a lot about aquatic biology and um, just all around a a fun talk with Shan. And uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. So now I bring you Shan O'Gorman. All right. I'm here with Shan O'Gorman. Shan, thanks for being here, man. Thank you. There we go. Got it right that time. (laughs) <laughs> All right, man. Let's uh let's start from uh from the beginning here. Let's uh where are you from in the world? I was born in Atlanta, Georgia. Have li- always lived around Georgia. Um, I've lived all over Georgia, um, North Georgia, South. Um, but yeah, I've always just been right around in in the Georgia area. And I uh, I you know like anybody else, you get out of high school and you got to go to college and you kind of like in the world and I just like to fish, you know, I was a fisherman. Um, my dad taught me how when I was a boy and we had ponds around the house. Georgia has a lot of man-made ponds. Um, the state built them back in like the forties and fifties for free. If you had the land, uh, there's a lot of erosion control problems. Yep. And so they had a big initiative in Georgia anyway. I don't know about the rest of the Southeast. But there's a lot of ponds in the Southeast. I've worked all over the Southeast actually, but okay more than any place georgia has a lot of ponds because you could literally get one for free at some time the government you know never heard of that yeah yeah and that's why we have so many and that's you know that's why i have a job yeah um but those those ponds um you know i'm seeing the end of those ponds i'm seeing you know ponds that were built you know 70 years ago their, their dams failing, their drains failing. Um, you know, they're coming to the end of their lives. Yeah. And yeah. so if you have the money, you can, you know, you can refurbish the pond. Yeah. And that's your, your career is largely pond management. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. yeah. How, how did you, how did you get there? So you, you fished all through your childhood You went to school for it, I guess. Yeah. I got to school and and kind of looking around in the world and saw a guy doing uh, a speech about fisheries, you know, um, probably much the same way kids will find me on the internet or whatever. You just kind of stumble your way around until you find somebody. And, and I heard what that guy said and I was like, man, that's interesting. I, you know, I love fish. I love science. I'm pretty good at science. Yeah. And, um, and he said, well, you should go to Georgia, you know, major in fisheries because that's the only place in Georgia in the nineties that you could um, actually I'm not sure if there's still any place now. I think you still have to go to the University of Georgia. It's the only fishery school. Yep. Um, but as soon as I heard that, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to Georgia. <laughs> and uh, so I did. Yeah. How was that experience? How were those classes that you took, those fisheries classes? Oh, that was a definitely a, a unique experience, you know, because I was, I was just doing, um, you know, I wasn't on a scholarship athlete or anything. You know, I was just a regular student at that point. And um, I was like, kind of blown away because it's like you you're you get thrown into basically pre med, 
you know, everybody, everybody, yeah. everybody around you is going to school to be a doctor. And you're like, I'm studying fish. Why am I in this class? <laughs> That's how I felt when I first started taking those intro chem and bio classes. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, isn't this too complicated? Yeah. Shouldn't yeah. we be talking about plastic worms? Yeah. Absolutely none of that. So yeah, it was, I thought, uh, I thought the school, well, I thought I got a great degree. I had a great experience at University of Georgia. I had a great professor, Dr. Gilbert, uh, and, and Dr. Reiner, my, my advisor. He was great. Um, yeah. I, I just, I, I, I love Georgia, you know, go dogs. We won the yeah. national championship here. <laughs> um, and it was a great experience. And yeah. I, if you can do it, you know, I would recommend it to anyone. Yeah. I was fortunate. Like I said, I lived in an area where there's a lot of ponds. And I came from a family where everybody, my dad's a woodworker and a truck driver and my mom's an artist and um, everybody just kind of, you know, kind of has their own initiative thing going, you know, and I saw an opportunity that I could make a business and it wasn't so much that and it, it really, you know, that was the part of the business that became disappointing, I guess, is it's not a fisheries management business. It's a pond management business. Okay. Big difference. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can explain that. Yeah. So if you want to be in the pond management business, especially in a Metro Atlanta area type place, um, you know, you're going to have plenty of homeowner associations, apartment complexes, business complexes. Um, You're going to run into all kinds of irrigation systems uh, because, you know, primarily these ponds are for that. Um, or like I said, uh, erosion control, so you get into dredging. Um, so you'll have to do dredging. You'll have to be able to assess uh, how much sediment is in a pond, um, and you know, give a give a bid basically, and say, hey, it's going to cost you like because it's not cheap to dig sediment out of a pond. You know, right. it's, yeah. it's <clears throat> so. I guess what I'm saying is like. My page, if you follow my page, that is the best part of pond management. And that is probably maybe that was when I was even at my busiest, busiest 15% of my time, you know, was getting to play with that. Okay. Actually managing fish in ponds. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because like most pond owners don't care about fish. And most of your life is spent spraying algae, picking up trash. Like I said, doing yeah. erosion control studies um you know meeting with different people for different reasons all over everywhere um a lot of stormwater management ponds you know, so there's not even any fish populations in there because they fill up and they go away yeah um so and then you have like all kinds of like different every single like town that you're in will have different code for each pond like some ponds like can get away with murder and some ponds can't get away with anything yeah. you know and they just they so, really want to keep them as tame and clean as possible i guess yeah it just depends on what kind of person you have running the um running the town yeah um like i did some pond management i've done pond management work all over the southeast and like if you get into like areas in like north carolina where they're like universities and they have like a more liberal or more university minded ideals. So like 
you don't have, like you don't, some of those places you don't spray chemicals in the water. You know, you, you can't put herbicides out because of the tech rules. So literally like you had to just go in and cut things by hand. Okay. Yeah. And if you got a contract to cut, you know, 50 stormwater retention ponds by hand with physical labor, you've got yourself a nice contract. Yep. You know, I could, I could not do any of that spray or roundup <laughs> for $10. For yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, but there, that's not happening in that town, yep. you know? So all kinds of just crazy different like ideologies that you ran into throughout the whole world. I mean, um, I think my biggest problem, even with my fisheries clients was like, you know, if we start this pond the right way, it'll be incredible. And this is how we start the pond. We have to drain it, you know, and start over. just like, Whoa, that just default right there. You have yeah. to drain automatically. They think that's a 10 year process because it's like, no, it's more like a 10 day process. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be lucky to have the pond drain for 10 days actually. Um, so there's just complete misconception about how the process works. And I've been fortunate enough now for enough years now and with enough experience doing it, uh, just, just very fortunate that I can do this. This is an idea that I've had for a long time. Yeah. Well, you've been doing it for, uh, 25 years. Yeah. I know yeah, that I cause I was, I was born in 96 and you had on your bio. Yeah. When from Georgia. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, man. So it's just like, I've kind of looked at it from a couple different angles and I've gotten like just savvy enough with the computer and with being able to go on Instagram that I can keep up. Yeah. So I'm just like showing people, like, look, this is what's going to be possible. Okay. Yeah. And it's no different than a garden. Um, it's literally no different than a garden. It's the exact same principles. You have to start with the soil you have to make sure the soil's right. And that makes the water right. That makes the plankton right. Yeah. And if everything gets right, you can boost it a little bit, get a little more out of it. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, tomatoes. It's interesting because it's it's like you have full control over the ecology of this little system. You know, yes, yes. it's kind of the cool part about pond management. Yes, it is kind of the cool part of it. Yeah. And what I've been able to do because I've just been, like I said, I've just been so fortunate to work around it this whole time. Um, is, is be able to draw parallels, you know, and be able to relate ideas because understanding something is one thing, explaining it is something completely different. Yep. And that's kind of been the journey on Instagram is, is just learning how to explain it. Yeah. Well, you, you, you provide nice little graphics and stuff, tell people understand like biomass and trying to, like trying to teach people about the, population dynamics like with bass and bluegill and all that I've, I've learned a lot personally and i have friends that you know they, they think i you know i went to school to study wildlife and fisheries i think they assume i took a bunch of fisheries classes I actually didn't i studied more terrestrial ecosystems you know sure, so yeah. i don't know much about you know aquatic ecology um so i never but really no. had much to say to them about you know their ponds are like well, what, what do i need to do with my bass do i need to put catfish in there and this that and the other and i never really know what to say to them but since right. I've been following you, I have a little bit more uh, knowledge, you know, about like your number one forage is bluegill. That's one thing I've learned yeah. from you. Yeah, that's that's yeah. important, man. Like I said, it's um, so 
they're they're they they're um let's see how do i how do i bust a bluegill down real quick they don't die in the winter you know they're they're tough they're hardy fish and they spawn a lot they spawn more than people even realize you know um and if you grab a seine and you pull the edge of your pond you'll start picking up those clear bluegill and start tracking it because you'll literally be able to see it like they'll, they'll be every month there'll be a, a, a bluegill you know spawn coming off yep. and you know they'll be a little bit smaller a little bit smaller and the ones that aren't clear anymore when they're about about as big as like i would say like the fingernail on my pinky finger yeah you know like that size they, they don't they're not clear anymore so they're just past a month old so the ones that are all clear you can tell like if there was a spawn okay. there's almost yep almost clear one it's kind of bigger and then there's like a little tiny clear one you can tell that one was just born you know yeah and that's what that saying allows you to see and again when you break this down and you look at each individual level like i said it's just levels you have plankton you, know, you have phytoplankton you have zooplankton you have insects you have bluegill you have bass if you get those in the right combination it's good it's gross yeah. you know oh, it's what about the plankton? Why are plankton important? It's the base of the food, the food chain, I guess. Yeah, the base of the food. But. So, let's just start. Let's just use um, at Georgia because I'm I'm from here. So yeah. let's let's say the pond, the one acre pond behind my house. Um, if we drain that pond down, and like I said, it's it it would not take it would be lucky that pond in particular. It'd be lucky it was down for one day. <laughs> we'd probably really have to work very hard to eradicate the fish um, because there's crappy in that pond as well. So we get rid of all the fish and we start from scratch. Okay. So we would stock uh, bluegill and bass and some red ear. Your bluegill is your primary forage because like I said, it spawns so much. It's a nice monthly spawner. Um, and a three-inch bluegill can lay like eight to ten thousand eggs. Wow! So, yeah, <laughs> that's like crazy. Little, like yeah, that's, three, that, that blows my mind. Yeah, like a little tiny three-finger bluegill. You know what I mean? Like yeah. half as your hand is is blowing up with with reproduction. Yeah. Okay, and there's no other sunfish that reproduces like that. Okay, crappy don't reproduce like that. Nothing reproduces like that. Yeah. So. That's why you only want bluegill because they're the absolute like best. Anything else you put in there displaces them and isn't spawning as well. Yeah. Right. So that's it's counterintuitive because everybody's used to like thinking like about a reservoir and all the different forage that is available for the fish. Okay. But we, like you said earlier, you know, we have the availability to control this. Right, because it's a contained closed system, so yep. we should control it with the best forage, not all forage, but the absolute best. Right, that's why we use bluegill. Now, the mixture of red ear in there, and I'm, I'm talking about not many red ear, like 50 fish per acre. When I'm stocking a thousand bluegill, like one to two inch per acre on a new pond, I'm stocking like 50 to 100 red ear. Okay, a tiny little mixture. Um. Now, the red ear or the shell cracker, they feed on the freshwater snails. Their primary diet is 
different than the bluegill's primary diet. Where the bluegill's primary diet is zooplankton and aquatic insects, there is, is like mostly snails and then some insects and some worms and stuff. Yes. So they mix into the pond well. They spawn early, they only spawn once a year, but they spawn early in the spring. So they spawn before bluegill. So there's a nice little readier pop of forage for the bass gotcha. early in the spring. And then your bluegill come in. Okay. And this has like been proven with science, like for a hundred years now. If you've got a pond, and like a pond, it's like 30 acres or under, let's say, that is the best. If you can keep it to that and bass, yeah. you can really rev that engine. That's something that can really boost. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so we're mainly talking about growing big bass here. Any, any type of fish. I don't really okay. care. I, okay. I can bump, I can bump the balance of the fishery in any direction that I want. If I want to make it a trophy bluegill fishery, I absolutely can do that. Yeah. I'm if interested I'm, in that almost more than I, I grew up bass fishing. I used to bass fish competitively in high school and stuff. Grew up in that sure. culture, but now I'm more interested in catching trophy bluegill. Like I, in my pond back home, I want to, I want a trophy bluegill pond. What do I need okay. to do for a trophy bluegill? All right. Um, that's a great, that's, that's great. And I love the, I love that because it gives us the opposite perspective, which yeah. is exactly what we need. We're still, like we talked about a little bit earlier before we switched on, you know, a pond balance is like, literally like think about balancing on a wire. You have some leeway in either direction, but either direction you can lose it too. Yeah. Right. So <clears throat> I guess what I'm getting at is like with a pond, like most people say, well, we'll catch and release. Well, what happens if your bass spawn twice? Shouldn't you harvest? Yes, you should. Because again, you can't just balance one direction yeah. on a wire. Right? Ponds have and a that, carrying capacity. Yeah. They have a, they have a, a, a limited source of food. Yep. Therefore they have a limited source of fish. And if we, if we're, if we're talking about a balanced pond, then we're, we, we're on the wire. Like we're walking down the wire and we're doing good, right? But we could lean one way or another and still be on the wire. And that's where I'm talking about, are you want bass to grow bigger? Okay, we're going to lean it this way a little. Okay. You want bluegill to grow bigger? That's okay. We're going to lean it this way a little. Okay. Now, if either way goes way out of way, it's going to screw the pond up. We're going to have yeah. to start all over right? It's like a motorcycle yeah. or anything else with balance, bicycle. You can lean it a little, right? So that's all we're talking about is we're just going to lean your pond a little towards growing bigger bluegill. Yeah. Okay. So how do you do that? Do you have any idea? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. You want less bluegill. You want a few, yep, you want you want a, a spawning bluegill population, but you want fewer of them, yep. right? Slight fewer of them. We need, we, again, we need a spawning, healthy bluegill population, right? But we need slightly fewer of them. So what happens when we bump the numbers of bass up when we stock? Okay, and so instead of saying stocking 35 bass per acre for optimum bass growth, what happens if I stock set, uh, 70 bass per increases predatory pressure on the bluegill and you get bigger right. bluegill well close you're, you're in the right idea all right let's okay. think about it this, okay 
when I double the amount of bass per acre, okay, I cut the amount of forage to each individual bass in half, right? Because there's twice as many of them. Yep. That means they grow half as fast. Yep. And actually at that rate, right in there, that 50, 60, like 70, 60, 70 acre fish, they won't grow much at all. Yep. I'll stall them out about 11 or 12 inches long. Right. Yep. So the mouth will be just a little bit bigger than like a quarter. They can't eat the bluegill. <laughs> now you, you know, they can't eat those big bluegill. And that's a, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Never would have thought of that. Now the bluegill spawn every month, right? Yep. But what happens to their fry? They get they're getting eaten. They're getting eaten by those little bass. bass. Yeah. So you've limited the number of, right? You've yep. limited the number of bluegill in the pond. You're still getting a healthy reproductive pond, and you, they don't have any predators. So in that scenario, that's exactly how you want to set your pond up. And then if you ever catch like a bass going over 16 inches, you need to harvest that bass out of there. Yep. A big bass in that pond is is your is a demon for you. You don't want yep. that in there. Yeah. Follow. <clears throat> oh yeah. Okay. So there's no, there's other like other lapomus like uh, the green sunfish uh, or like mm. uh, uh, say like crappie. There these these sorts of fish aren't great for a pond if if you're trying to uh, raise bass, grow large bass, right? They're really not great for the pond if you're trying to maintain a healthy pond over a long period of time okay um and what i mean is okay so again we're walking down that wire right and you get in green sunfish or crappy it's really kind of the same thing it's a competing species and if you think about especially the size of their mouths you know, how big they are yep. that kind of clues you in as to the type of things they feed on which is everything yep. insects fish everything so what happens in that scenario is like like we talked about before with our with our simple setup with our bass and bluegill and, and red ear nothing's interfering with the reproduction of anything else it's a good combination a green sunfish or a crappy mixed into it is not a good combination because what happens is is they begin to feed on the bass fry okay and and you get reduced bass populations actually they they eliminate bass populations and once the bass population is eliminated, nothing can control the Lipoma species. So they stunt. Yep. So you'll have constant trend towards stunted bluegill with crappy and green sunfish problems. And I've, I've fished urban ponds. I, I, it seems like they haven't even really been properly stocked, but they're like overrun by green sunfish. They're just so mm -hmm. prolific in, in these in some. No, new literally, like, urban you could probably. I've, I've seen it. And again, like I get so many guys argue with me and, and like, Oh, well, I've got ponds with crappy. Like I realize that there are variables to this. Like again, this isn't a black and white kind of a thing, but I have literally seen ponds like that were stocked perfectly in year three, four, and they're producing eight pound bass and they're beautiful, but there's a stream and a crappy gets in. And by year 10, it's decimated. It needs to be stocked and done again. Like it's literally the adult bass are gone because they died at old age by 10 years old. And there's been no bass reproduction success and there's no bass and it's stunted and gone. Yeah. You know, in eight, 10 years. Now I and go ahead. You can't control it. Like yep. I don't know when that's gonna happen or when it's gonna mix well and be fine, or 
when it's, I don't know when it's going to turn around and bite me. Yeah. So you know? I, I love, I love fish diversity. I love all the Lepomis. I love gar and bowfin. And I, I, in a perfect world, I wish my one, you know, one and a half acre pond could support all that diversity, but I guess it's really just not, not no, a great I mean, idea. <laughs> not, I mean, it can, it absolutely can support that kind of diversity. It's just not going to support a very big. big yeah. Diversity. Yeah. They're not going to be very healthy. Um, so, because again, we're dealing with a man-made environment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is not, those fish are all designed to be in like a swamp riverine yeah. kind of environment, you know? And this is not, this is a unique kind of environment. This is, this is, this was designed by us. Um, like I said, every single lake that I take care of here is, is made by man. Yeah. There's no natural lake here at all anywhere. Um, so it's a man-made environment. It's a man-made stocking strategy. And the problem that I've got is people don't understand that. And they, and We've gotten to the point now where catch release is such like a like a virtue signal, if you will. Yeah. Um, that it, it, harvest of one fish is you know is somehow like you've ruined the environment. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, you've boat flipped, you know, a starved fish on a dry carpet, and now you've released it and made like <laughs> and made like that you've you know there's some kind of conservationist, you know what I mean? It's like, you got to get, get it straight. You know, if you're going to be a conservationist, be a conservationist and let's return the fish, let's handle the fish properly and return the fish properly, you know, otherwise keep it. Yeah. I don't really care either way. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. Cut out there for a second. Uh, Yeah. Sorry. Let me get a, yeah, go ahead. This is interesting stuff. You know, I, um, I have so many questions here listed out. So like bass grow really fast in a perfect system, right? Yeah. When you get them in the right system, man, they, um, they grow exceptionally fast. I'm trying to, I don't know if I saw it on your Instagram or your YouTube, but you talked about a, a bass that was caught during a fishery survey and it, it they had it tagged and it grew like five pounds over a year or something. Yeah, man. I just it read that. My mind. I, I know, really man. That. Incredible. So there's a, there's a lake in South Georgia. I think it's a little over a hundred acres and Georgia is, is getting kind of onto the, onto that. I'll say bandwagon of doing some, doing some trophy managed places, you know, yep. state, state managed stuff, but, so they've got this place. I can't remember. It starts with an O down there. I can't, I can't remember the name of the lake. Like I said, I looked it up. I think it's about a hundred acres. So, you know, some of the things to think about, it's a new, it's a newly stocked trophy managed fishery. That's important. And any newly stocked lake, whether it, I don't care how they stocked it, anytime they drain and have to restock a lake, that's a lake you need to pay attention to. Yeah. Okay, because they're going to be resetting it with the right kind of balance and the fish are going to grow exceptionally well. There's also like chemistry changes that happen that I'm not even smart enough to explain. I just have witnessed from doing it, like exposing the soil on the bottom of the pond to air is really good for it. 
Yeah. There's there's a couple of like there's old school pond management techniques like winter drawdown. Interesting. You can do yeah, and to it, keep productivity high, it, like the plants and the plankton respond, I guess, well to that. And yeah, and also if you draw a pond down at the right time, when it's exceptionally cold, get the ground to freeze. It'll kill the um, weed seeds. It'll okay. bust up all the weed seeds that were spawned in, and you won't have near the weed aquatic weed problems in the in the spring. Okay. Well, so what? I have a bunch of. Uh, we'll get back to that lake, but in my pond, I have a bunch of uh, just uh, lily pads, like American water lily or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and some parts is so thick. When I was in high school, I had the good idea to go out there with the machete and dive under and start cutting them out at the shoots terrible idea they just grew right back it didn't do anything yeah that's you're gonna it, they're so thick you can't even throw a, a, a even a top like a ribbit frog or anything over the top or a spro over the top of it because it's so thick in some parts so i tried well, to manage kinda, it yeah that goes back to kind of what we talked about and that's it gets to the point where if you have too many lily pads that's really bad for the pond okay um that shading of the pond shades light and that light is needed by the plankton. That's the base of the food chain. So if you start getting like 20, 30% coverage, um, you know, shaded coverage like that, that starts to decrease the amount of fish the lake can hold. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's another thing people don't understand. It's like, yeah, is that, is that good habitat? Well, yeah. But again, it's uh, kind of just like balancing on a wire. You know what I mean? Increase. You can have too little, but you can also have too much. Right. You can decrease so. productivity. And you can tell your productivity just uh, by looking at the water clarity, right? The the phytoplankton. If, yeah. If, if, if you know how to, if you're educated in, 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 in how to look at that. Yeah. And that's how I do it. Like, so this pond that I've been managing over here for the past year, um, Sugar Hill Outdoors, you know, here in Georgia, I can boost that productivity. Um, we don't have a lot of phosphorus runoff. We have low productivity. Um, so I can add some fertilizer to the water, okay. just like people can fertilize their grass in the yard. Well, I can fertilize the pond and instead of growing grass, I'm growing plankton. Yeah. So instead of my water holding 100 pounds of fish per acre, it can now hold 400 pounds of fish per acre. Wow. Okay. Now. Yeah. So it's four times the amount. So now I have a two and a half acre pond that really is holding the amount of fish of almost a 10. Yeah. Right. So that makes fishing a lot better. Yeah. It's a lot easier when there's that many fish back in there. Yeah, but okay, I, but I do like a clear pond. My pond, you can see about six feet down and it's, it's beautiful to see the fish swimming around and stuff, but yeah, that's okay. You don't have yeah. to lose that clarity either, especially when you want to be in trophy bluegill because you're going to be feeding them primarily in a trophy bluegill pond because bluegill will take high protein feed. Okay. So that's how we are going to set our bluegill off on their journey to greatness. Is feeding them. Is feeding them. Yeah. Yep. So once we get our bass population stunted and set at small sizes, then we have our bluegill population at lower size that, you know, there's, a lower number of bluegill because of all that bass predation, but those bluegill are there have plenty of aquatic insects, plenty of zooplankton. And on top of that, they have a sweet amount of high protein fish feed. Gotcha. 
My and, my biggest hurdle will be fighting my uncle about how to manage because he's managing for bass. <laughs> <laughs> he stocked like a, it's about an acre and a half. I don't know if our stocking rates were right. It was probably ten years ago when he did this. He stocked I think two hundred fifty four inch Florida hybrid largemouth, and um, it's hard. He, to no, he did you a favor, man. He just he just set that pond up to be a trophy bluegill pond. Right. Well, the problem <laughs> is we we've, we've flooded twice. I don't know if you heard of Hurricane Harvey. Um, sure. Right. Harvey flooded us. Um, we, I don't know what happens. All I know is the, the pond's banks were six feet underwater, and I don't know where the fish go. But we still have fish in there. Surely we lost some. We gained bowfin and, and spotted gar. Yeah, Let's I'm sure I think the bowfin are kind of cool. I don't, I don't know how many are in there and if they're going to cause a problem, but I like bowfin. I, hopefully they're not too abundant, but um, you know, so I don't, I don't know how those bass are really doing. I've never really seen them. Yeah, I've never really seen them like overrun a pond, but they're definitely going to pe- compete with your bass. I would keep the ones out that you caught, you right. know. But I don't um, know if those bass are even in there anymore. It probably reset itself after two floods. <laughs> yeah. So when we get back to uh, bass growth rate, you're talking about that lake in southern Georgia. Oh, right. So yeah. those guys sampled, um, they tagged the fish when they stocked them. And they sampled, um, you know, they go shop, do electrofishing surveys every year. Um, and, you know, just, just track the results and, and see how it's going. So they sampled this fish. It was three years old and it weighed 7.8 pounds. And, you know, it's number, we'll just call it number one, you know. So fish number one, we found him, he's tag number one, and he's seven, eight, and he's three. So that's, you know, that's good growth. And, but that's not like, I mean, that's, that's actually really good growth. Um, but that's not like mind blowing my mind. Like I've never seen that growth before in my life. Actually, no, that if you drain and restock any pond anywhere, you'll get that growth in three years. Uh, in the southeast if you just do it right and listen yeah if you just do just listen to me (laughs) i can get fish to eight pounds really easy getting them past eight pounds is really hard okay okay um so these cats they caught this fish and they weighed seven eight and they put it back and then the next year they're doing their survey again and freaking nature because i mean dude i have tagged fish i have gone on shocking surveys I've tagged hundreds of them and like gone back and tried to find them and they're just gone. You know, it's like, you never see the tag fish ever again, because it ruins your data set because you can never find them again. They're gone, you know? So, but these guys go back out and what do they do? They shock up fish number one again. And it weighed 13.1 pounds one year later. That's crazy. Yeah. And so, you know, when you want to talk about the potential of how fast something can grow in the right situation, that's a four year old fish that weighs 13 pounds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But that's, now uh, I, that blows my mind. I just never would have imagined a four year old fish could be 13 pounds a bass. They could crush it out, like put one in a tank and watch how much they eat. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the part that the people just don't understand. Yeah. They are absolute stone killers. Now, what did people, what did they do right with that reservoir? Cause I mean, we're talking about small ponds, managing the bluegill on the forge. How, how do they, how do you get a larger lake to grow well, big bass like that? So again, one of the things like gun in my mouth, you want me to try to grow a fish that big, you're going to need about a hundred acres of water. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not even really sure why. You know, it's just like, I've just been on a lot of shocking surveys. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know where the big bass are at and it's going to be climbing up like the 75 acre range. 
and there's going to be gizzard shad in it and it's going to be new. It's not going to be 15 or 25 or 35 years old. Like those lakes are too old. They don't produce big bass anymore. The system's already out of, out of whack. Too far out of whack. Yeah. There's been too many things against them. And there's again, like mother nature's not even, you know, it's not consistent enough to grow big bass. You got to have real good consistency and you got to keep them. You got to keep that balance just right for eight years. And it's easier to do when you drain it and restock it because everything starts perfect. And then it gets out of whack over eight years. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's the whole thing. Like, especially like the people, the people want to talk about genetics of fish, nothing grows faster than an F1 bass. That's a cross between a Florida strain and a Northern strain. And they, they exhibit a hybrid vigor that no other bass can grow that fast. Like it's just not possible. F1s grow. So when I stock my pond new, I stock them with F1s. When their lives are over, I'm done with the pond. I can drain it and start again. I need more F1s. Interesting. If you want me to talk about genetics, that now you're talking to somebody who knows about genetics, right? Okay. But every other fish after that's not an F1. I don't care about it. You can do whatever you want with it. Okay. It's not coming up like these boys are. <laughs> Actually, these girls, because they right. I don't even care about the boys. I don't even yeah, care. The males don't get near as Half large. Half those F1s are worthless to me. Yeah. How, how dimorphic are they in size? Bass. Um, bass are getting like the males, they're not getting over like males aren't climbing up over seven usually. Okay, and I would say, like, like when you restock your pond, you start seeing capping like four and a half, five and a half. Like, you'll start seeing like, and there's a lot of four and a half and five and a half okay. at like year three. Yeah, you can pretty much start keeping those out because those are the males. And the ones that are climbing up to eight, you're going to let those go because those are the females. Gotcha. Or if you catch them in the female, you know, catch them in the spring, you can sex them pretty easy then, you know. Um, but yeah, anything you can do to like, like past year three, four, five, six, right in there on your pond, trophy bass management on your pond. If you can sex those males out and get them out of the system, we do because they're in the way. I got you. They're, they're just taking f- protein away from a female that can climb up. Got you. So we've covered we've covered uh quite a bit about ponds. There's many much more to cover, but we got to talk a little bit about fishing in general. Well, and one thing too, I wanted to ask you what, what's the deal with these California bass that are like 16, 17 pounds? Oh well, do you know much about that? A little bit, you know. I've, I've, I haven't been to California in many years, but um, you know, just the reading I've done, and I've got some guys that follow out there, so I talk to them, you know. Um, and it seems like, you know, California's got some cool fisheries. They got some interesting type fisheries, you know, like unique situations. And again, if you're able to use the right combination of fish in a unique situation, you can get growth, right? Yeah. Just like we were talking about, like we were able to manipulate your bass population by stocking to get perfect bluegill, right? Well, in California, they kind of have something going there, especially with the way their weather is and everything where trout populations last really well. So trout are interesting because they're really easy to like farm okay, and grow in a hatchery. And since they're easy to grow in a hatchery, they're easy to like take people's like money for your trout licenses and stuff, allocate a certain amount of money to grow a certain amount of trout. Right. Yeah. So 
tax dollars and just the way bureaucracy works, we grow a lot of trout. Yeah. For a lot of reasons, yep. but it's profitable. So they grow trout. It's profitable. Yeah. Right. So those trout are going in the reservoir. People are catching the trout. It's producing a sport fishing industry. But the side effect to that is, is those largemouth bass are climbing up and feeding on them. I got you. And they're huge. Like there's some over 20 pounds that have been caught out there. Right. 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 So what I, you know, this is back, you know, 20 years ago now, but you know, again, this has been going on for a long time in California. This is not new, you know, and I, I saw that. So what I started doing was, um, I kind of inadvertently came across this, but it works pretty well. So here in Georgia, I'm in around the Atlanta area and it would work in Texas where you're at as well. Anywhere in the Southeast, I think it worked pretty good. Um, so around Thanksgiving, I stock trout, right? And I keep my feeders rolling and I stock them like eight inches, you know, somewhere in there, just rainbows. Um, so they, that you got trout all winter. And you've got sport fish all winter and your feeders run all winter. Nothing ever stops. The pond stays active. Um, everything stays going. The trout climb up pretty good. You have to probably have to turn your feeders down because they, they get big fast. You don't want five pound trout yeah. by the time they die. But by the time they die, which is, you know, as water temperatures climb to 68, past 68 degrees, the oxygen level drops to the point it, it simply just cannot hold enough oxygen for trout to survive. Gotcha. So they, they suffocate, but that process isn't instantaneous. It takes a while. And as the water warms, the trout get lethargic and the female bass are coming off the spawn. Oh yeah. And they get smoked <laughs> up. <laughs> they just mop up on them and get real fat. Yeah, it's, that's, it's, that's, it's really, that's cool. it's, it's, it's real but, bad news for them. <laughs> you don't have to worry about those trout surviving and messing up your balance because they're going to just die off anyway they're just going to die anyway yeah that's interesting yeah Yeah, so now the problem that you do get with trout doing that i can just anybody who's who's listening who can do that or whatever just for fyi if you have a threat to shad population the rainbow trout will decimate it over the winter time okay because thread fins are tropical and they don't like the cold you can lose them if it just gets too cold. They'll just die. Um, so there's a there's a you know risk there with thread fins. If you have a thread fin shad, you can lose them just to, just to cold. But you're going to lose them to wound to that many rainbow trout. Like yeah. their your your thread fins are going to be in bad shape come springtime. <laughs> They're going to get bullied all winter by those trout. Um, so if you do that and you have thread fins, be prepared to stock restock some thread fins in the spring. Why not stock? We're going to talk about forage. Let's get back to pond stuff because I, I had one more question. I probably have a few more if I can think of them, but why not stock shad and other, other smaller forage fish rather than bluegill? Um, I do, actually. Okay. Um, the pond that I'm managing right now, I do have shad in, and um, they are thread fins. And so let's, you know, let's bust that down. What happens, like, if you – if we had our, um, let's say we had a thousand pounds of bluegill forage in there, just straight bluegill forage, and I added shad. Okay, well, they're going to go in, they're going to start feeding on zooplankton, which takes away zooplankton from larval bluegill. So larval bluegill, and I'm talking 
match heads, you know, I mean, little tiny, tiny, yeah, tiny, tiny little fish don't have the food they need to survive and starve. So it's not like you see a bunch of dead fish floating around, right? That, that's not how that works. They don't have the, the food resources to climb up as tiny little fry feed on zooplankton. So they just die. So you say 30% of your, your um, over a couple month period, maybe like 30% of your forage base is in shad. And 70% now is in bluegill. Okay. Mm-hmm. You haven't increased the biomass. Yep. You've just diversified the forage base. Which is good for the fish, for the bass. Depends. Yeah. Again, it, did, did you diversify? Okay. We happened in this scenario, we happen to diversify the forage base with thread fins that spawn multiple times per season, just like a bluegill. And don't interfere with bass like by feeding on their eggs or feeding on their fry so in this particular scenario yeah we can get away with them yeah i got you. i'm talking about thread fin shad now you take another fish and put it in there no like all right you want to stock golden shiner okay why they spawn once in the spring and they're nestorators okay yeah so you've just reduced now 30 percent of your entire forage base is in shiners that aren't even spawning a fraction of what a bluegill can spawn. You've gotcha. decreased the productivity of your pond by diversifying. Gotcha. What about catfish in ponds? A lot of people they are- work, but they take feed and they climb up fast. Gotcha. So if you if you put catfish in a pond and you start feeding them, you're going to have seven pound catfish in about. 14 months and <laughs> then they're predatory yeah and then it's like where'd all the rest of the fish go right <laughs> it's like then you have to thin some catfish down and the rest of your fish will come back i'll tell you what i, I want to just put one big ass flathead in my pond just just so i can <laughs> swim around with them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're very predatory i know but they're a cool fish no they're cool i love them they're absolutely yeah. awesome but that's a bad idea I'll do it. I'll do it. maybe i'll skip that um what else in ponds my uncle used to really get upset when he'd see uh, see i I have a reptile and amphibian background so i I have something to say about this turtles in ponds uh to me like a red-eared slider any of the pond turtles sliders cooters they're a non-threat to fish in my view correct they're not built to to just chase down fish are so fast in the water correct everything you said is correct okay good i'm glad we have consensus there because people are (laughs) Always finding no, an excuse um, to go out and shoot a bunch of sliders. Like, quit shooting the damn turtles, okay? Yeah. They're just going to come back down the screen. Their cousins are going to come back matter, yeah. all right? They're, you're not even done anything. They haven't hurt anything. If anything, uh, they turtles, can improve it. Turtles a, are omnivores, right? Yeah. They eat a little bit of everything. Yeah. And part of what they eat is dead and dying fish. Exactly. That's what and I've always turtle, leaned on. And Yeah, and if a, a turtle is down there making a living on your um, dying fish. And that's an interesting side note because I've seen ponds that have like, like, all of a sudden there's a lot of turtles in this pond. And then you figure out there was a fish kill. It's like a couple days later, it's like they, they, they show up. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. It's like they, they just know, like, it's weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, if you, if you pay attention to the details like that, 
you yeah. you can see a lot. You'll learn a lot. But yeah. no, you're right. Don't shoot okay. the turtle. Okay, they eat the, They just eat the fish that are, are going to die anyway. Yeah. And they could even um, when they you know they're redwood sliders. You know when they're when they're hatchling size that that is a food source for for a large mouth bass. Yeah, I've seen them yeah. eat the turtles a little bit. Um, yeah, so yeah anything they're, just they're, a positive to have turtles, and you know, just nice to have extra wildlife around in general. Yeah, and and it's literally like I don't, I've never seen anybody who shoots a lot of turtles who gets rid of any like the turtles are always there anyway. You know, yeah. it's like their natural reproduction just just fills that right back in. Right. You know. Um. So yeah, it's pointless. I don't. Right. I don't. Um. Even the snappers. If you got a snapper um they're not really they just they're not high energy enough like bluegill again bluegill spawn so much that you can eat on you can browse them and they just fill back in you know and so that's the most my, important so when i get my trophy bluegill pond going i can i can go ahead and harvest them as much as i want you can't harvest them as much as you want, but you can definitely, you will definitely have as many bluegill as you want to eat. I yeah. promise you that. So I love to eat bluegill. That's one of my favorite yeah. freshwater fish to eat. They're yeah. so big, you know, bigger than your hand size. Yep. Fried. Yeah. Dude, they'll be, they'll, they'll be so big. I mean, yeah. they'll be, let's see, uh, Clint, uh, he sent me a picture not long ago in Sugar Hill Pond. We stopped. Um, they were like three inches in the spring. And it's like 10 inches now. Jesus. That's from yeah. feeding them? Yeah. Okay. Feed them high protein, Aquamax feed. It's a 50% protein. And um, and we do feed them some other, some like just like floating catfish feed. It's not as expensive as the Aquamax, like a mix. But um, yeah, dude, the, 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 extra, the extra feed just does amazing thing for bluegill growth. Um, it's, it, you can have a phenomenal bluegill fishery and and that's all you have to do is just feed them you yeah. know yeah good to know well, yeah so now let's talk about fishing so you, you fish a lot <laughs> you know your fisheries professional but you also fish a lot um and bass fishing's your thing i guess mainly yeah well i did i've done some trout fishing out west i used to go okay. out west times a year do some fly fishing um and I would say bass fishing is my thing mainly because I just grew up doing it, yeah, you know, right. and, and then I, and then I worked on ponds every day. So I did it every day and I just have a lot of experience with it. Yeah. So I guess the old bait caster is one of the, one of your, uh, the ways you sample. <laughs> oh yeah. That's called, um, yeah. Hook and line assessment. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool way to get paid. <laughs> yeah, man. It's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i i do i like to fish i've always liked to fish um i've been around bass fishing since the late 70s and um i've always had access to ponds i've always had access to bass fishing and it was always just something i did so i just always loved it and i, I guess what keeps me going every day about it is that it's just like it drives me crazy when when people have like a starved condition fish and they're talking about it spawned out. I mean, I just want to pull out my freaking last three hairs right. and be like, that is not a spawned stress condition. <laughs> okay. That is a starved fish condition. Um, that is actually like, if that was your dog, you should go to jail. Right. You know, that's really bad, you know? And that's what I'm trying to really just try to explain to people is like, sometimes catch and release is not always right. 
Right. You have to <clears throat> keep some sometimes. Yeah. Just yeah. Most people don't understand anything about population dynamics. No, Probably. but the thing about it is, it's like when they start to listen, if they just let their defenses down a little bit and they go, well, it's kind of like when you deer hunt. I'm like, no, it's not kind of like when you deer hunt. It's exactly like when you deer hunt. <laughs> That's why they teach you in a class called fish and wildlife biology. Right. It's the exact same thing. You cannot manage, you know, I didn't make the world. You know what I mean? Something's got to die. And that's just the way it is. Right. Now, do you, <laughs> um, do you spend a lot of time fishing on bigger reservoirs, you know, chasing yeah. big bass or. Well, here in Georgia, we have the Lake Lanier and that's a pretty big, like 38,000 acres. Um, but it's kind of a unique fishery. It's, it, it, it's got spotted bass okay. and it's got, it's got striper. But the spotted bass are pretty good. They come up to about six pounds in there. Oh, man. A six-pound spotted bass would be cool to catch. They fight <laughs> yeah. harder than a largemouth, I swear. Dude, they, oh, they do. They and, and Lake Lanier is, is an incredible fishery for spots. I mean, we catch like three and four-pounders pretty common. Um, so it's, it's a really good um, – it's got blueback herring in there. So okay. that's – it's interesting. It's, a, it's a, a highland reservoir, so it's big and it's deep, too. Okay. Um, you know, 100, 200 feet of the dam, and and it's dude, you're commonly catching fish 40, 40, 45 feet deep there. Gotcha. But they also have um, a striper population. They keep stocked in there to keep the shad and the, and the bluebacks in check. So, um, you know, we can go striper fishing too. That's pretty fun. Yeah. So, do you think your 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 biology background improves your bass fishing? I don't know, man. What do you think? I don't know. You're talking about biological tactics earlier when I was watching your YouTube and <laughs> you're pointing out stuff that I've, I've never had thought about when I was bass fishing and don't really hear about right stuff, but you know, the, the stuff that a biologist would think of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a good question, man. I'm not sure. I think, I think if you think it makes you a better fisherman than it does, right. Even like, I'm not sure. I don't know if, I don't think anything that I'll teach anyone will will help them win the bass master classic right. you know i'm not not a tournament yeah. bass fisher, but yeah. i get so much positive feedback from people that say you know they listen to it and they and and, and they caught a they hung in there this one spot or whatever something they heard you know and then they caught a fish you know it, it does help you know it helps a lot of people yeah. so um i've had too many comments to say that i don't think it helps people I don't, I think the science does help people. Right. It is interesting. I, I used to watch the, uh, the Bassmaster elite series and a lot of those guys really are well-versed in, in aquatic ecology and, and like oh, they, they know, they know what's going on. Oh, they know exactly yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Those guys are, are totally impressive. Um, yeah. I, I admire them. Um, I do not want to bass fish 300 days a year. You know, I like to fish, but I don't like to fish that much, man. Those right. guys work really, really hard. And, but, you know, I try to explain it to people this way. Um, again, if you want to win a bass fishing tournament, you shouldn't follow me. You know, I'm probably not the page for you. Now I'm not saying you might pick something up that would help you something. Maybe it will, but, <clears throat> um, Again, I'm not coming at it. I don't fish in bass fishing tournaments. You know, my whole perspective is 
well, is what has always been. My job is to help. Like if you hire me to take care of your pond, it doesn't matter what you're fishing. You could be the Bassmaster Classic fisherman or you could be a beginner. My job is to let you ke- is get you on some fish. Yeah. And so I think that's where that comes from, you know, just having that interaction with people and trying to explain ideas and, and relate ideas to people who, who don't understand like some of the concepts that we can talk about right now, you know, yeah. cause you understood this stuff in school, you know? Yeah. And I think that's probably draws people to the page more. I would say to anybody who's trying to get followers, don't use a lot of scientific terms, you know, um, you know, try to relate to people in a different way because they'll tune that out. I noticed that working with different lake management companies, everybody would get real wordy with the, with the terms and people would just dial it right out. You could see them just out to the conversation. And I'm like, you know, if I want these people to manage their own pond, even just a little bit while I'm not here, I can't talk to them like that. Yeah. So I just stopped. And I think that people, people tell me that all the time. They're like, Oh, I can just relate to it because you don't use all that terminology. Yeah. People don't know that jargon. That's on purpose, you know? Um, I try not to get, I, I, I do post a lot about natural history and wildlife and stuff. And I, I get carried away sometimes, but I, I try to make sure it's understandable for the non-biology people. Sure. So, sure. No. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I really, you know, when I first started, it wasn't really, I didn't ever expect, I just figured it'd be a few people who have ponds like yourself, you know what I mean? Like, like, 400 people or something like that had the pond somewhere you know but i have more fishermen than anyone okay um, they yeah it really um has like it's really helped people with their fishing yeah um and that's cool you know i mean that's unexpected yeah but it's, it's been it's been real cool and real positive <clears throat> too like everybody's been really nice it yeah, hasn't been like a place where there's a lot of negativity, you know, and that's cool. That's, that's good. Social media can be really toxic these days. So it's yeah, out of there, you know, once in a while you'll get the troll guys in there who just want to start trouble, but you know, there's a nice block feature on there. You just kick them out of there. (laughs) Right. Um, At this point, there is actually a lot of students in there and there's a lot of people there who are there to learn and we don't need any distractions like that. Right. Um, We can keep it moving without them. They don't matter. Yeah. What's the biggest bass you've caught? Oh, um, actually not real sure on that. Not really. A long time ago before, before fish scales were, um, you know, so abundant, you know, but I remember that day very well. I caught it on a Texas rigged red shad culprit worm. Okay. The, and, yes. The black, the real basic. The black- Warm, black and red yeah with the red yeah, yeah yeah the red shad um and we had been fishing all day long it was a 35 acre pond and um it was about six years old it had been redone it actually was new it had been dug out um very interesting very interesting pond in south georgia almost in florida very close to florida um very flat a lot of cypress trees like 
you'd salivate. You know what I mean? Yeah. So down the side was very deep, and there were some lily pads along the edge, and there was a storm coming. We were literally going back to the truck through the worm onto the lily pad um, and just pulled it off. It went to the bottom. It hopped once, and I saw the line jump, you know, and I set the hook. And uh, it was it was 28 inches long. Jeez. But I don't know how much it weighed. <clears throat> if if it, if it was a healthy fish, it had to be over at nine, eight or nine, huh? Oh, yeah. Let's see. Um, let me grab my thing and I'll show Maybe. you here. So on my relative weight chart, it only goes to 25. Okay. Um, on this, the one I'm holding anyway. And it's nine, three at 25. Okay. Wow. So. You can usually add, I mean, just on average, about a pound an inch. Okay. That was a big fish. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, it is is a unit, man. I mean, I would say it more closely resembled lipping a one-gallon paint bucket. (laughs) When you were young, you were a young kid, right? I was 18. Oh, you're 18. Okay, I got you. Yeah, I, I was I was in my first year of college that year. Got you. And then, I, ironically enough, man, you know, and that was before I was ever even a fishery student. And again, that was a six-year-old pond that had been built. And then I got to Georgia, and I studied fisheries, and I studied all these things, and, and then I've done all this all these years. And I've seen 10-pound bass only a few times, but I've, I've held like 20 pounds of bass, one you know, one bass in each hand. Yeah. Three times three times i got a, a picture of it on the page i got one of them on a picture of that but I've, I've done that three times and um every single time the lakes are between five and seven years old interesting yeah <clears throat> um you need about seven years and you need to do a restock yeah. and you need you need to go there <laughs> <laughs> now, while we're on uh talking about relative weight um my best friend caught a 27-inch bass and it weighed mm-hmm. seven pounds. Yes. It was terrible. And we attributed it to just post-spawn, but that's beyond no, that. That's too far, yeah, it's too far away. Okay. Um, yeah. Post-spawn. So what you're dealing with that, when they're that far away, what you're dealing with is kind of a not um, – let's call it a fractured forage base. Okay. So yeah. – now it was on so, Sam Ray, Sam Raymond Reservoir is where he caught it. You may know that reservoir. Oh well, it's probably just an old fish then. Yeah, it's just an old fish. Yeah, yeah just older, older fish. But if you see that pattern, let's say, let's say that's not in a big reservoir, um, and you see a pattern of like long and skinny bass, um, that's like you start to see that when too many crappy get into a pond because there there'll be a lot of crappy spawn in the fall. And, and there'll be a lot of, you know, bluegill spawn. And, but then as the summer goes by, the crappy go away and the bluegill are being competed, are being eaten by the crappy as well. So basically you have a lot of forage in the spring and no forage in the fall. Gotcha. Right. Because of the overabundance of fish, the pomus that only spawn in the spring. Gotcha. And then you, what you'll see then is bass will climb up and grow for half the year and starve for half the year, and they'll get long and skinny like that. Gotcha. So really, you know, I, I love crappie. We, we call them crappie here in Texas, not crappie. Crappie, yeah. <laughs> crappie. Uh, I like 
better because they're totally crappy and small. Right. right. Uh, you know, <laughs> I love crappie and, and it, the thought of having them in my pond where I can go out and catch like 50 or 60 sounds cool, but it's just not feasible. Right. Well, I mean, would, if you're good with 50 or 60, they're like paper thin and poor health. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're not going to be great. No, you, you do well, way better off if, if you like to catch healthy ones to do it in, I mean, and seriously, like big, like a thousand acres, you know, like they don't even do good in like a hundred acres sometimes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> big, bigger lakes is where there is where you're going to find those big ones, man, on the crappy or the crappie or the speckled perch or the sucky lop <laughs> White or whatever perch. you want to call them. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you're going to be out in bigger um, bodies of water with more diverse food chains and you're going to see much, much healthier specks. Specs, yeah. So I caught my first, I mean, I caught them in ponds before and they were always the paper thin, unhealthy little things. I caught them on a Toledo Bend Reservoir uh, this past year, like out in deep water on a, on a, on a, uh, set of Christmas trees, brush yeah. piles. Yeah. That's fun. Catching yeah, oh, yeah. crappie out, out in a big reservoir like that. Right. That's a right. lot of fun. Well, and I mean, here's an example, you know, my buddy's pond in South Georgia, we've been messing with it. Um, just harvesting fish and, 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 and seeing what happens. Um, just basically for the page, it's his own personal pond. Um, and we're, we're running into an issue we want to drain it and restart it, but his sister is kind of leery. And so, you know, it's, it's like anything else, man. You can't get everybody to agree. Right. Um, but that's okay. It's just life. But so I'm just like, play it as it lies, you know, let's just do what we can with it, you know? And so we've been pulling crappy and pulling bass and just, just going crazy on it. Just doing as many crazy things as you can do to it. We've taken literally, literally one ton of crappy out of a nine acre pond, 10 acre pond yeah. in two years. And what ended up looks like what's happened is the golden shiner population has taken off. Okay. And so we're seeing fewer and fewer uh, bluegill and bass and more and more, you know, what I'm going to call trash fish. Yeah. Now, what I will say is, though, is we're starting to see crappy climbing up to like one, 1. 1.3, 1. 1.7 pounds. Okay. Those are sizable. So we're seeing decent size, you know. Um, and if the system, if it, like, if you were really into it, you know, and you're like, oh, I just want to do, do the crappy fishing, you know, I can manage it. I can do it. You know, um, it's going to cost a few more bucks for sure, because it's going to be stocking adult fish and it's going to be more electro fishing for harvest. And, you know, you're, you're rolling up man hours, you know, yeah. um, <clears throat> And it's not going to be something you're going to be able to budget either because some years different things are going to happen. You know, it's going to, it's going to be a weird thing where it's like you're pushing in one direction and going and pushing in the other direction the next year. Yeah. Um, and it's all because of it. It really just is not the right place for, it, you know, yeah. but I have so vast amounts of experience managing like these poor because nobody drains the pond and restocks it. You know what I mean? Nobody listens to them. Yeah. Um, not even 10 people in 30 years, I think, have done it. <laughs> it is a weird thought. Like my pond, it'd be weird draining it. I, I would, I'd be really interested to see what's in there. It may. You'll see, that's the most, I love doing that too. I absolutely love it because every single time we've drained one down, like I can remember I was doing one, a couple of them in North Carolina for another company I was subbing out for. And, uh, they had some, some intern kids. They were bigger. So they had some like college kids and they're like, 
man, I can't wait to see how many big fish we get out of this. It's like a five acre pile. Man. And I was like, did you see this green sunfish in there, dude? And he's like, well, yeah. I was like, we're not getting jack crap out of here, but some three inch green sunfish. It's the only thing that'll be in that net at the end of the day. Wait and see. There won't be one bass in this whole damn thing. Bull crap. 20 bucks. All right. End of the day, guess who won that bet? <laughs> I've seen it firsthand. Green sunfish it was... don't mix with bass. <laughs> green sunfish. A cool fish. Remember. Oh, they're great, man. The... I love them, but you don't want them in your pond. Catching them. Uh, we're fishing the spawn on Toledo Bend one spring, and my dad caught like a probably like a two pounder on, on a Texas rig fishing a oh, lizard. Yeah, man. That was a beautiful, big fish, like green sunfish. We really had cool. about a two pounder in the, in the um, fish lab at Georgia in the aquarium. Yeah. I lived in there. It was 10 years old when I got there and I was there forever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, green sunfish are cool fish, man. But like I said, they will, the crappier cool fish too, but they will yeah. absolutely decimate upon. Yeah. You know, and there's not much you can do about it. They're going to they're gonna run you over. And um, I guess, you know, if the one thing, like, if people could get this through their head, all right, if you want to play this game of, like, catch and release where you just throw back all the fish, okay, here's my advice. Drain and restock your pond every decade. <laughs> and then catch – just do it one time, wipe it clean, kill all the fish. I know you got to do it once, but – then you can just catch and release for the next 10 years, yeah. but please do it again. Because if you let it go longer than that, your fish are going to start to suffer. Yeah. Um, it doesn't balance out like a big, like a, a river system or a, or a reservoir. No, it doesn't because it's doing not. active management. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's just not. Yeah. And um, that's the part that people can't get to their head is we're dealing with something that's not what you're used to. You know, it is not mother nature. Okay. It is not balanced by nature in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So it's our responsibility to balance it. Yeah. Any other any other uh, sort of uh, pieces of advice you want to give for people, fishermen or people managing ponds uh, while we get into the end zone here? Well. We've covered a whole lot. I think we've been everywhere, man. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I hope you edit this down some. No, man, I think we uh <laughs> roll it leave off. it all in. It was we've covered some good stuff. Let me look at my notes. I think I got pretty much everything I had listed. Somehow we covered it all pretty quick. Um, no, man, just um, I think there's there's lots of there's lots of information on Google. You, know, you can Google all this stuff, grab some key terms, and, and learn. Um, I haven't gone over anything now. The one thing that I do have. I think over what you're going to read other places is kind of like what happens over 20 years. You know, I've watched like my friend Mickey's pond. And I'll just use it again as an example. I've already seen that pond go from completely stunted with three inch crappy drained and restocked to world-class bass fishing back to completely stunted crappy yeah. in 25 years. Okay. Like I don't, you know, and people want to play the what if game with me a lot, but what if you do this? What if you do that? I'm like, what if you just listen, <laughs> you know, <laughs> trust, a, trust a scientist. That's a good piece yeah, well, of advice no, for people. I mean, don't even do that. Don't even trust like something you read in a book, but how about you trust what I watched happen? Right. I got you. 
like a thousand times, <laughs> you know, because um, I literally this is on the ground walking around field experience, you know, this is this backed up with a degree. And that's the part that I don't know if anybody is going to be able to come tend with me. Right. Um, I do know some guys who have more experience than me. You know, I can name them on one hand. Yeah. They run fish hatcheries, you know, and they're my friends and I listen to them, you know, I talk to them, you know, my colleagues and my friends and like, you know, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just what you do and and you learn about what you do. And and if anybody has any questions or anything, you know, just, just lob a a DM or a a text or whatever. Your aquatic biologist on Instagram, right? Yeah. Aquatic biologist. That's me. Hopefully we covered some uh, misconceptions about pond management and fish. Um, there's I a think lot so, more. Man. Yeah. There's, there's so stuff. many. Yeah. There's a lot, there's been a lot of misinformation. Um, and again, you know, like there's, there's a gray areas to all this stuff. I mean, none of this stuff is set in black and white and it depends on what part of the country that you're in. You know, you go up North of here into, into a 50 acre lake and you're going to run into like, well, I've got great crappy fishing in here. Yeah. Well, you also have Northern Pike, right. <clears throat> you know? Um, so you're dealing with a completely different situation where the bass aren't even the top predators anymore. Right. So, you know, when you start getting to different areas of the country, you're going to run it like this completely different, but at the same time, these population dynamics that we discussed between the forage and the predators are going to be the same. Yeah between the musky and whatever they're Never eating. Before, yeah. Yep. You're going to, it's still all the same. Um, yeah. The ratios are going to have to be the same. If you, if, if you're, if you're, if your Northern Pike are all, you know, like three pounds, you know, uh, well, there's too many of them. Is there an and industry up North for pond management? I don't know if they have enough ponds like right. we have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Georgia, Florida, you know, the, we have a lot of them, you know, it's just like, yeah. there's a lot everywhere. Um, and Florida has a lot more natural type places than we do, but, yeah. um, Florida is really interesting and in, all, all around. They got the, so I've been down to South Florida and you're out in these neighborhood ponds and there's like cichlids and, and peacock bass swimming around and man, I tell you there, they have got everything in Florida. Yeah. Um, I'd like to go down there. I've got a few people following me and, and I've got a line on them. I want to do that. It's just exactly go that. Peacock bass go, fishing. Yeah. Go, go catch fish. Yeah. I want to go there and I want, I want to go back and actually fish next time I go. I was there looking for snakes. Um, I don't know if you follow my page, but I do a lot of, a lot of reptile and amphibian stuff, but um, I want to go check out those dome swamps out there. They got these dome swamps that are just full of cypress and there's, there's some interesting fish found in those swamps. Oh yeah, man. There's there Central awesome. Florida. It's just a if cool you place. Find yourself over this way. I got a buddy with about a thousand acre farm in South Georgia that is eat up with Eastern Diamondback rattlesnakes. Oh man, I'd love to go. <laughs> I'd love yeah. to go. I can put you on Definitely. some EVs, man. Those yeah, things that... are nasty. Like I, they give me the creeps, but they are beautiful snakes. They're awesome. They're awesome. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to. We'd, we'd have to get out and do some fishing together someday and Definitely, look for man. snakes along the way do it there's down there there's plenty of snakes <laughs> yeah i have a i have a uh friend social media friend who lives in georgia a couple of them actually and they there's some really cool stuff in florida i mean uh, georgia oh. my bad georgia georgia yeah. really cool snakes in georgia it's 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 a it's a we have a lot of interesting um 
like kind of diverse environments. You know, in South yeah. Georgia, it's flat and kind of sandy. And then we have like a Piedmont region and yeah. a mountain region, you know, up in the north. So a lot of diversity. Yeah, that's one thing I've, I've noticed when my buddies talk about the, like the reptile and amphibian diversity. It's because that Piedmont kind of meets the coastal plain. Yeah, you exactly. Stuff, so. Yeah, exactly. And there's just like a, you know, it's just that transitional zone. We've all I live here. And it's, yeah. it, Georgia's really is beautiful that way. You know, just in a few hours, you can be in the mountains or you can be down by the coast, yeah. you know. Um, well, we're gonna have cool. to we're gonna have to meet up sometime when I get out to Georgia. Do it. So, Give me a hug. Uh, really appreciate it, man. I'm gonna go and end it here. Sure. Uh, hopefully, okay. people cool. enjoy this and learn about pond management after listening to this. So, really yeah. appreciate it, Shan. Thank you very much, sir. All right, man. I'll end it there. See you. Right on.